0: So recently, I got, a cha- I got a chance to make a trip down memory lanes. Back 40 years ago, this spring in 1978, my high school lacrosse team won a state championship. So I went to lincoln Sudbury Regional High School. Um, tell you how old I am. The building's not there anymore. They built a new building since I was there and tore down the old one. So, and uh, but I went over and and uh, so they wanted to celebrate this event. It was actually the first state title in any sport in our high school's history. So they decided they were going to make a big deal out of it, and they were going to induct our entire 1978 team into the Athletic Hall of Fame over at Lincoln-Sebury Regional High School. So I went over um, in early June, and, and I played in an alumni game. So... We're standing on the sidelines, so they had some of the younger alumni read in, kids who were still in college and playing, are going against the high school varsity, and we're watching them play, and they're running over each other, and they're running fast, and we're thinking, we're not playing those guys, are we? (laughs) So, and then, but we we did this tournament, you know what, it's kind of sobering to see all of your old teammates, you know, and some of them got like no hair. And some of them got hair growing where it's not supposed to, you know, and some of them are fatter than you and all that kind of other stuff. But anyways, we, we had a great time. I got through it. A couple guys pulled muscles and rolled ankles, but I managed to escape unscathed, and we went off to this uh, induction luncheon over at Nishada Country Club, and it was really a nice time. And, and I, I, I wore my belt buckle today in honor of that event. They gave us a, a lacrosse belt buckle in honor of winning our state championship, and so um, Back in those days, there really were all the teams in the East, and out in the West, there was one team that was just parentally good, and they had won many state championships. It was Long Meadow. It was one of the few places in the state that, that not only actively played lacrosse, but they had youth leagues and the whole nine yards. And so we played them um, and over at Tufts University and uh, And I was a junior in and, and on the team, and I played some not a lot that particular game and it was we went fourteen to twelve, and we had a kid in our team who scored ten goals. It was just phenomenal to watch from the sidelines and I actually covered us covered him in our alumni game, but he 's not as fast as he used to be, so that was a good thing right so uh, it, it was great memories kind of thing and so at the at the induction ceremony i 'm sitting together with all of the guys from the class of 79, the guys who were graduating the next year, and talking about a lot of the experiences we had. And, and part of the memories that comes up is our loss to the same team in 1979 in the championship game. We, we, we had uh, got through our, 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 the season, and, and in many ways, we were a better team than the 1978 team. I mean, we, we, we lost one game to a team in-state. That was to Newton North, and we avenged that loss you know, and uh, that's where Christina went. Shh, be quiet. You know, and, and, um, we we lost them during the regular season we beat them in a in the, in the in the uh, in the playoffs and we went out we had to travel out to Long Meadow to play them right but we were just brimming with confidence i mean we were like 24 and 1 we had lost to a team maybe from Long Island and we had played some college teams and lost and stuff but but you know we were we had played these guys earlier in the year had beaten them handily we were on a roll we were praying, playing great we had the experience from the year before of beating them we we knew we were better. Better than the previous year's team and etc. And we get out there and we get off the bus and we're losing six to nothing at the end of the first quarter. I mean, we're just getting slaughtered, right? You know, two of their defensemen already had goals and our attackmen hadn't even scored a goal yet. You know, I mean, we're just getting slaughtered, right? And, and so you huddle up at the end of the first quarter and, and the same thing at the, at, at the halftime. And it's like, what are the answers? We're the solutions, Right, and, and and so all these waves, these bad memories came back and was around. But that feeling of just like you know, just you you're, you're brimming with confidence, everything you've worked for, the second title, all that kind of stuff, all these hopes, dreams, and it's just slipping through your fingers, and and, you, and, and and there's no solutions, right? And and we lost, you know, and and now I, I tell you that story for a reason, and, and not just that I'm indulging myself because it's Father's Day. But in many ways, this is the exact same experience, but in real life, in life that matters, that's going on with Moses when we get to the beginning of chapter 6. If you have a Bible, I'd love you to turn to Exodus chapter 6 with us. And, and if you don't bring a Bible, and, and that's okay, we anticipate that. There's a Bible underneath your chair, and the text for today is a, begins on page 49. It's the same page we've been on for the last few weeks, but we're going to finally clear 49 into chapter 50 today, page 50 today. Um, there, I tell the story about... The anguish of that day, you know, you get off the bus, you're, you, th- you think, man, we got this in the bag, and things are going to go great, and then you're getting crushed, and everything you're trying, and you're pointing fingers, and this and that, and there's no solutions, and, and you just feel everything kind of slipping away, and there's a sense of desperation, and a sense of helplessness, and there's a sense of hopelessness, and there's a sense of loss, and, and this agony that comes in. Now, you take that, and you transfer that all to real life, and that's exactly where Moses is. You know, we've been working through this book, you know, the people have been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years, you know, that they are a vital economic engine for the nation of Egypt, but they are at this point in time also a major national security threat. So the Egyptians are applying all the pressure they can to the to the Israelites, and they're making their lives miserable. And Moses, who's been spared all of that and has been raised up among the elite in in, in Egypt, as, a, as a, the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, he sees all of that, and he has compassion in his heart. And, and he wants to do something about it. And he makes an effort, and he fails. And he's forced to flee. And he's gone. I mean, he's gone for 40 years from the nation of Egypt. And then God shows up. He's tending his sheep, and God is, appears in this mountain in the form of a burning bush. And God said, you know what? My heart is... Has always been in alignment with your heart, but I'm ready to do something about it now. So I'm ready to send you back to Egypt so that you can lead my people out. And God, is, God just spends all his time building up his confidence. Take your, take your staff, throw it on the ground. Stick, the, stick your hand inside of your robe, pull it out. It's going to leprous heal, you know, and, and, and take the water, pour it out on the ground. See, it turns into blood. He's building up his confidence. And so Moses finally gets to the place and says, All right, I'll go, right? And he, and he goes back to Egypt. And he, and he meets with the Israelites, the leaders. And he tells them what God said, and, and they're on board, man. They're off the bus, and they're getting on the field, and they are expecting that this is just going to be a roll tide kind of thing, right? Make Ken happy, right? This roll tide kind of thing, right? You know, he's, and, um, and, and they come off the field at the end of the first quarter, and it's not six to nothing. It's a 100 to nothing. Because this battle has gone on between... God of the Hebrews and the God of the Egyptians who is Pharaoh, right? I mean, they, the Egyptians, they had, the, you know, the God of the sun and this and that. But when it came to the nation of Egypt, the God was their king who they called Pharaoh. And so this was a battle. This was a challenge between the God of Egypt and the God of the Hebrews. And by the time you get to the end of chapter 5, it looks like it's going to be a no contest. I mean, these guys are just in a different league, right? You know, Moses goes in and says, hey, you know, you're going to let our people go. God, our God has spoken to us. And Pharaoh says, yeah, well, let's see who's going to win this battle. And life has gone from unbearable to impossible and life-threatening for the Israelis inside of Egypt. And, 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 and they, are, they are just devastated. They, they, this is the end of the first quarter, and there's no hope. And they're like, you know what? We quit, and we forfeit, and they walk away. And and Moses is left standing by himself. And he turns to God and and he says, God, you know, show me the extra strap. How do we get out of this? And that's the conversation that's going on between God and Moses at the beginning of chapter 6. Moses said, Gotten off the bus totally confident. This is going to be a, a we're just going to roll over them and we're just going to, you know, start fire up the duck boats. We're ready for another parade and they just get dis- devastated and he comes into God and he says, I, "This ain't going to work." Let's pick up the story and just read along a little bit. We'll start with the end of chapter 5 just to bring that context in. So we pick up with verse 22 of uh, of Exodus 5. So Moses Went back to the Lord and asked. So when it says, when, immediately before then, is the Israelites have said, we quit, we forfeit, we're out of here. I, I, you know, we don't know what God's doing, but we know that you messed up and failed and we quit. We're not, we're not threatening ourselves anymore. And they walk away. So Moses went back to the Lord and he asked, Lord, well, wh- why? Why have you caused trouble for this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I went into Pharaoh, to speak in your name, he has caused trouble for this people. And you haven't delivered your people at all. You know, Moses is saying, like, well, why did you ever put this team together in the first place? You should have just left me herding the sheep. It would have been better off. But you've sent me in here and, and to, to lead these people out. And it has, it's gone from bad to worse. It's gone from the frying pan to the fire. Life is, says, you haven't fulfilled your, this whole strategy isn't working. Some of you feel like you're in that spot. Some of you have been in places like that. And some of us will be like that in the future. We're going to feel like we've signed up to have this great journey with God. Life's going to be good, and and things are going to be really tough. It could be related to our health. It could be our finances. It could be relationships. It could be all of those together, and and, and even more. And, and, And you get this place, God, you know, you're supposed to make it. It's just getting worse. It's just getting worse. And and, and, and and we're just overwhelmed. And in the midst of that, this is how God answers Moses. He offers a word of assurance. But the Lord replied to Moses. He's ready to say, God, you know, I just want to get back on the bus and go back to Midian. Let's just forget the second half. And, and God says, now you're going to see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. He will let them go because of my strong hand. He will drive them out of his land because of my strong hand. It's not going to just be where Pharaoh's going to let you go. He's going to kick you out when I get done with him. This this game isn't over yet, right? Then God spoke to Moses telling him, I'm Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but I didn't reveal my name to Yahweh to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land that they the land they lived in as foreigners. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, this is what I want you to tell the Israelites. I am Yahweh, and I will deliver you. I am Yahweh, and I will deliver you from the forced labor of the Egyptians, and free you from slavery to them. I will redeem you, and I'm going to do so with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment, and we're going to see those in the chapters ahead. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. You will know that I am Yahweh, your God, who delivered you from the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give to you as a possess- and give it to you as a possession. I am Yahweh. Moses told this to the Israelites, but they didn't listen because of their broken spirit and their hard labor. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go from the land <laughs> but Moses Moses said in the Lord's presence, if the Israelites won't even listen to me, if I can't convince my own team to get back on the field, how in the world am I going to go in there all by myself? Right? If the Israelites will not listen to me, then how will Pharaoh listen to me since I am such a poor speaker? Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them commands concerning both the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. God doesn't have a problem with Moses approaching him, saying, God, you know what? I, 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 I'm so disoriented. This isn't working. You know, you, I, I spent 40 years growing up in Pharaoh's household. I thought I had a position of influence, et cetera, and, and I tried to do something to deliver the people. That didn't work, and I spent 40 years in the desert. And I was okay there. It wasn't great, but I was okay there. Married, had a kid, and you showed up and sent me back. And I got to tell you what, you, you gave us every reason to believe that, that we were going to be victorious. And we's losing. And we're going to lose. God, why have you done this? Let, let's just roll it up. Let's, let's, let's just call it a game and go home. And God speaks to him and he gives him three points. And there, I think there, there, there are three things that God just speaks into his life through this journey. And I want you to hear all three of those, and then I'll try to make some observations uh, related to, to our own journey. And the first thing that God says to Moses, and let me summarize it a little bit, coming out of verses 1 and 2 and 3, is he, he, he says, to, he reminds Moses that he's sovereign. He says, I know it looks like I'm losing but I'm not. He said, you know, yeah, we, we've had round one, right? You showed up, you asked Pharaoh to let the people go, and he took, he took their lives, and they were unbearable and difficult and barely tolerable, and he made it to where they, they, they're dying. It's gone from bad to worse, to worser to worstest. Is that a word worstest? It is now I'm speaking in tongues. That's my spiritual gift. I'm inventing words. And it went to the worstest, right? And and, and 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 this is over, right? It's over. You know, and and God said it's just getting started. He said by my strong arm I'm going to deliver them. Salvation, deliverance all. God says, I'm I'm in control. I, I I I am winning in this picture, right? And and there is an incredible lesson that the people need to learn in the midst of all of this. But but here's the imagery that you know. How do you picture that, right? You know, here the, the, Moses goes in with Aaron. They, they they got no army. The people have abandoned them. Life is hard. And God's saying, "This is going to happen. This is going to happen." And God said, "Why? Because of who I am. I am sovereign. I am control." i don 't care what the appearances suggest i don 't know what what it looks like, what it feels like to you or anything else. I am in control, and this is going to work out you know um i, I you know today 's father's day right, and one of the images I have in my mind that relates me to to this fact right the way it, the appearances can look to what 's actually going on comes out of, out of when my boys were little I have a twenty nine and a twenty seven year old right and and they it's a good chance they're going to call today because their mother has trained them right. So they're going to call me today at least. And I might get a text message. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But and uh, and but when they were little, when they were like four and two, five and three, I don't know about what your kids were like. My kids loved to wrestle, you know, when they were boys, right? And so I would wrestle with them. And if you weren't like sitting in the corner of our living room when they were little, it might look when we were wrestling like I was losing, right? I'm on the floor they're jumping off the couch on top of me, and, you know, they're always on top. You know, you, you know what I mean, right? And, and you could look at it and say, you know what, he, he's, he's losing. This battle's over. You know, these kids are swarming all over the top of them and jumping and this and that. But in the reality, what's going on in that is that I am doing everything I can to make sure that they don't get hurt while we're wrestling. My youngest one in particular, Benjamin, I mean, he would get up on the top of the back of the couch and just, Yah! like, think it was Superman. He was going to fly around the house or something, right? Or And, and you, you know, you're just catching him so he won't hit head first into the floor, right? You're doing everything you can to keep them from getting hurt. But when all of that is happening, it looks like they're winning, but really I'm in control. And a few times they will ended up crying and had to go see their mother. That's because I'm not God, I'm still fallible, right? But uh, kind of idea. And and and, and it's to say it looks like looks like God's losing. It looks like the God of the Egyptians is kicking tail of the God of the Hebrews, and God says, that's that's my, what it looks like, but that's not what's happening because I'm sovereign and I'm in control. Second thing that God really points out to, 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 to Moses is he said this, listen, he says Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They knew me as a promise maker. You guys are going to know me as a promise keeper. He said, you know, I, I, I showed up and spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I revealed myself to them as the Almighty. And I made promises to them. My promises were that they were going to spend some time in Egypt. They were going to grow into a great nation. I told them up front it was going to be hard down here. But then I told them I was going to bring them out, and I was going to give them the land of Canaan. They were going to have this land that they had wandered through as aliens throughout their entire journey. I made promises to them, and now I'm going to keep my promises. That's why I've told you my name, Yahweh, because I am what I do. And I've showed up to do what I've promised. He said, and I'm going to keep my promise. And if you look through here, verse 6 and 4, it says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to deliver you from slavery. I'm going to redeem you so you can never be taken back into slavery. I'm going to adopt you into my family. I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people, and I'm going to give you an inheritance, that promised land and and I got to tell you you know one of the reasons why we're studying the book of, of of Exodus and I've mentioned this in earlier sermons and things is that this is such a Exodus is a picture in human history of what God does on a spiritual level in redeeming us in Jesus Christ. And and this is this these are the four pieces of salvation in our own lives. When you and I place our faith in Jesus Christ as savior and lord, the one who came down out of heaven was born in a, in, in a manger Lived a perfect life, died on a cross, was buried and resurrected on the third day. When we place our faith in Him, this is exactly what God does for us. He delivers us from slavery. It may not be slavery in Egypt where we're making bricks and looking for straw, and and, and getting whipped when we don't made it meet our quota. God delivers us from the slavery to sin. And and you know sin, we we look at that so many different ways. it's, it's simply living a life where God cannot bless us at his maximum, where we just don't stay in the zip code where God can share all of his best for us. And there's lots of different ways to look at how that all comes. He said, I'm going to deliver you from that. I'm going to redeem you so that you can never get dragged back into it. There's got no claim on you. And with that, I'm going to adopt you into my family. I'm going to lavish my love on you so that you can become and be called the child of God. And I'm going to give you an inheritance, not of some land in the Middle East that people are going to fight over for centuries. I'm going to give you an inheritance called eternal life that starts now and lasts forever. And that's what God does for us. And God says, I have showed up now not only to show that I am sovereign, but I'm here to keep the promises that I've made. So I'm no longer just El Shaddai Almighty. I am Yahweh. I am what I do. I am who I am, what am I show myself to be, and and it's just an incredible word. And I got to tell you, that's I think that's a you know you and I when we struggle with doubt, it's in one of two areas. It it, it really has to do with one the ability of God to deliver on His promises. I mean, some you know, and and and, and that's what the Israelites are struggling with. Moses showed up, God, God spoke and whatever. They start, this game's over, they're out of here. God is not able. He is not sovereign. He cannot do this, right? And they abandon and they walk away. And there's doubt about the ability of God. Sometimes it's about the definition of what's really good. Sometimes our doubt resides in the definition of really, of what's good. Is the life that God wants for us the life that we really want for ourselves? And when those two things aren't in alignment, we doubt. There's a third thing that God says to him. It's interesting. He asserts his sovereignty. He reveals what he's going to do, this new aspect of who he is. He's going to fulfill his promises in the now. And then he reissues his command. Get back out there on the field and play, man. I wish I could tell you that in the second half, we caught up and won. We lost. You know, we, we, it got better, but we didn't win. But we got back on it. He said, get back out. They said, I'm sending you back to Pharaoh, and you tell him, let my people go. And Moses said, well, hey, we've been there, done that, right? There, there isn't, it's just going to get... Go. And God issues his command for us to go. And and when you and I are in the midst of some of the most difficult moments of our lives, and sometimes they're, they're, they're short seasons, sometimes they're drawn-out seasons, right? God... God speaks into our lives. He says, don't forget, no matter how what it looks like, I'm in charge. I'm sovereign. And what I promised, I will do. All things will work for the good of those who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. I will do what I promised to go. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Go, love your neighbor as yourself. And God speaks those words into us. He doesn't say, well, let me rescue up. It's not like, Mo- yeah, I love this text. That God shows up, you know, Moses goes into God and he says, and God's very approachable, right? And Moses isn't there like, God, what are you doing to me? Whatever. He's heartbroken for the condition of the people, right? His heart is full of compassion for the circumstances. And it's not like Moses shows up and says, hey, God, you, you know, do you see what's going on? Oh, geez, I forgot. Look, wow, I didn't know. Hey, let me fix that. You know, it's, it's not like God's surprised, right? You know, God knows what's going on. And he says, but I'm here in the midst of it. Don't lose sight of the fact that I'm in control. I am working. Just do what you're supposed to do and leave the rest of it to me. There's some great truths for us to pull out of this. And I just want to share these with you quickly as we kind of wrap up. I mean, all of us, if, we, if we're not there now, or haven't been there in the past, all of us will in the future be in moments where our life circumstances, et cetera, are gonna hit us. And, w- and we're gonna be struggling with, with our understanding of the faithfulness of God, the activity of God, the will of God, how God works, all that kind of stuff. It's, if it's not, it hasn't been there already, it's gonna come. Right? And 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 here are some of the things that God really says to us in the midst of this. And you know it one of the things that you and I need to appreciate up front is that the the the, the, the spiritually destructive power of a broken spirit. Look at verse 9. It's just a devastating piece, right? So Moses takes this word from God about his sovereignty, and now he's not just El Shaddai Almighty, but he's going to be the God who does. He's going to keep his promises, and he's getting ready to start the second half and really finish this off. And Moses goes in and he tells the Israelites, and it says, but they didn't listen to him. Because of their broken spirit and hard labor. And, and, and I want to refer you back to what we talked about last week in the midst of this. I, I think you and I need to be very conscious in our journey with God not to allow ourselves to get to a place where we have a broken spirit. Because where we get, how we get to a place where we have a broken spirit. Is that you know, one is the hard labor, the stress side, and I think there's ways in which we need to embrace this rest, this Sabbath that God's trying to give us. But on the other end, our broken spirit is almost always a function of our frustration over our expectations. And we talked about this last week, you know, that we we have this idea that somehow or another God's agenda is to make us happy. God's role in our lives is to make it where we don't have a, we have a problem-free life. And what the only promise that God has ever made to you and I about our journey here is that he's going to work in our lives every second of every day to make us like his son, Jesus Christ. God's objective every single moment of every single day is to make us holy. And that does not mean that God's seeking to make us happy. It does not mean that God's seeking to make us healthy doesn't mean that God's seeking to make us wealthy. And you can go right on down the line, right? That, that, and, and when you and I have this idea that God somehow or another is out there to make sure that we have this protective bubble around us and nothing ever bad happens to ourselves and only good stuff happens to us, you know, except we get to a place where we are frustrated because God's not doing what he's supposed to be doing and we land up with a broken spirit and then we can't listen anymore. And you and I need to be very... This is one of the reasons why we need to be in God's Word and understand God's Word and hear Him speak and and remember the hard things that He said because in the midst of all of that, we can have a full view of who God is and even though we may be frustrated, it's not a violation of our expectations because God has told us up front who He is and what He's going to do and how He's going to be about it. Here's the second truth I really want you to see. There our journey with god seeing god's faithfulness experiencing his sovereignty at work in our lives it takes patience it takes patience that there is tremendous spiritual significance in simply being patient with god and letting god work you know that it's it's <laughs> i think a lot of times we 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 want to just kind of like jump off the bus right and game's over we want and 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 that's what, you know the, the Israelites. Moses goes in or whatever, and 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 life goes from from bad to worstest, right? You know, and 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 and, and they're like, we're done, we're out because there's no pain. But God works over the long journey, and and you know Moses at this point in time, you're going to see this in chapter. He's eighty years old. I mean, God's plan to use Moses is just getting started, and it's been eighty years in the making. And, and a lot of times, our frustration with God, our abandonment of God, our loss of God's hope and joy and love and peace in our lives is that we just get impatient. God, I want it fixed today. Today. All right, tomorrow. You know, and, and God says, you know what? This may be your journey throughout, and then I have an eternity that's welcome for you Forever. And, and 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 it is tremendously important for us to have the sense of patience. When, when, and, and, and when we're impatient with God, we've got to have it now. It's on my time. It just blows up in our face and we lose the assurance, the joy, the hope, the strength that comes from knowing that a sovereign God is working in his time to be the promise keeper that he has said is going to be. And we need to just go about doing what we need to be doing in the midst of all of that. Here's the third takeaway that I want to take, get for us. And, and I, you know, I can really feel for Moses here at the end, you know. We get to the end of this passage, and, and, and God said, all right, go. And Moses is saying, all right. And so he tries it with the Israelite, it doesn't work. So he comes back to God and says, God, see, I've got, I, I got a letter from home, a note from mom that says, I don't have to do this anymore because I, I'm not good at this. So I'm not responsible anymore, right? <laughs> and 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 we have this sense sometimes that because we feel inadequate, we're no longer obligated by God's instructions to us, right? We we think, all right, you know, I, I, God, I'm just not qualified for this, so therefore I don't have to do it. And we think God says, oh yeah yeah yeah, let's just check that off. It's good. It doesn't work that way. You know, I love it, God. God Moses is pleading with him, God, this is a disaster, it's getting worse, why'd you do this? Let me go home, etc. And and then he, and God says go and he, and he tries it again with the Israelites it doesn't work, and God says, go again. And Moses is saying, No, 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 go, 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 you've got to understand, your command no longer applies to me because I can't do this. So I get to go. God says, No, go, go. How do we do this? You know, and 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 why does it really matter? So let me use let me just Cherry pick an easy lane one, right? So, you shall be my witnesses. The vast majority of people sitting in this room would say that doesn't really apply to me because I'm not, I'm not good about talking about religious stuff. I'm not good about talking about Jesus. I'll just, I'll just show up on Thursday morning and help clean the building. you know, Or I'll, I'll cook a meal on a Monday night for the youth group. Or, or I'll do one of these behind the scenes things. But when it comes to sharing my faith with other people, God, I, I'm not good at talking. I don't know enough. I do whatever. So that, that command doesn't apply to me. And I'm off the hook. But the problem is is you're not off the hook. And when we disobey God, there are always spiritual consequences. So when we think we're off the hook, but we're not, and with that we're not being obedient, we suffer the spiritual consequences that go with those disobedience, whether we think it applies to us or not. And Moses is saying, God, I can't do this. I can't do that. I told you, I'm still slow to speak. We've been doing this now for months, and I still don't talk any better than I used to. I can't even convince my own leaders. How in the world am I going to do this? And guess, God, you got the wrong person. Your command is null and void. I'm out of here. And God says, no, Go. Go. And sometimes we just say, well, this doesn't apply to me because of you know, where I'm at in my life or because of this particular relationship or how much money I make or how much time that I have or whatever. It doesn't, And we think, well, I'm off the hook, right? And therefore, God's not going to hold me accountable. It doesn't work that way because God still says go in the midst of our sense of inadequacy. And we need to appreciate that in our own journey because even when we feel unworthy, Even when we feel inadequate, even when we feel like it's not us, it makes us feel uncomfortable, it challenges us, it stretches us, it makes us fearful, whatever, God still says, go, go. I want to back out a little bit to the big picture. God is with us in the midst of the hardships. God is with us in the midst of a hardship. I, you know, I, I was thinking about some of the, the journeys that I've walked with people through my years of ministry, you know, sitting with a family that had a child die from a drug overdose and doing a funeral. That's pretty hard stuff. You know, People who remember sitting in, a, in, a, in an emergency room, at children's hospital when a family was told that their 14-month-old has a brain tumor going out of their optic nerve, and they have no idea whether the child's going to make it. There there are some acute things that happen in our journey, and they challenge us to the core of where we're walking. And God's desire here for Moses, God's desire for us is to know, I am with you, and it's going to be okay. So even though we may hurt, it doesn't mean that we don't have hope. Just because it's challenging doesn't mean that we can't have joy. Just because, just because it's it, 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 it's painful doesn't mean it doesn't have purpose. God is at work. And so God is just trying to give this big, huge word to us to say, I am with you. It will be okay. It will be okay. And, 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 and it really is my privilege to share with all of us today, speaking to myself as well, is that God is with us us. God is with you, and it will be okay, because God is sovereign. He keeps his promise. Just keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Let's pray together. God, thanks for your word today. You know, you paint us Moses and the people of God in a very real light. These aren't some superhero-type faith people who can do stuff that's not even accessible to the rest of us but they're just as messed up as we are in trying to walk after you. And yet you do incredible things. God, do incredible things again in us as we believe in you as the one who sets us free and delivers us from sin, releases us to be your children and promises us an inheritance that can never fade or diminish. God, thank you for being you, the God who keeps promises. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen.